I've been freakishly excited about this message for the last two weeks. So we're going to be talking about women today. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for everything. We love you so much. We thank you for who you are and everything you do. Please come here, speak to each of us, teach us, grow us, and make us more like you. For your glory, Lord Jesus, and for our joy. In your name, Jesus, I pray these six. Thank you. Amen. All right. So, I'm sure you guys have heard that uh, Sam Jr. and I are taking a class together right now. It's called a gateway course. It's one of the prerequisite courses for my licensing as a Mennonite minister, which I'm really excited about. That's going to be fun. And, uh, yeah, well, like I said, I'm excited about it. So I saw a friend, and I said, hey, you know, I'm... I'm uh, working toward my licensing as a, as, a, as a pastor in the Mennonite church. I was like, I'm really excited. It's fun. We're taking this class together. And he said to me, oh, those are the liberal Mennonites, right? And uh, I said, well, you know, we're part of the, the Eastern District Conference. I mean, <laughs> he said, oh, okay, so it is the liberal ones. And I, I was kind of surprised because, I mean, <laughs> well, in his, in his vocabulary, the dirtiest word he can apply to, to a person or a group is liberal, okay? So he said, oh, those are the liberal ones. So I, I said, well, you know, what's, what's wrong with the uh, EDC? What's wrong with our church? You know, what's wrong with the Mennonite church? And he said, <laughs> you have women preachers, right? <laughs> I'd, yes, we do. We certainly do, and I'm completely and wholeheartedly on board with that. I think it's amazing. And his response to me was, Ryan, do you see what women have done to the church? Don't you realize, Ryan, women are not what the church needs. Women are the enemy. Yeah. Uh, you might be surprised to know that he was completely serious. And uh, I have many friends, many people I've known, uh, some whom I respect, who, if I had that same conversation with them, they'd probably say basically the same thing, just in different words. Well, I ended the conversation there. I was not willing to continue talking at that point. There was nothing good that, that would come of a conversation like that. So we're left with an important question, because many people do believe that and act. So the question is, uh, should women be empowered in the church? Or should the church be shielded from women? Should women be active? Should they be in leadership in the church? Or should women be silent and put down? Okay. Today we're going to look at some of what the Bible says about women. As I was putting this together last week, I was like, okay, we'll start in Genesis, then we'll work through there, then we'll move into Matthew, then Ephesians, then 1 Corinthians, and then Timothy, and then we'll end in Rebel, and, you know, eventually I realized we didn't have five hours to be here. So I decided rather than go through the entire Bible in one message, we'll just look at Genesis today. All right? So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to spend the majority of our time in chapter 2, but I want to uh, point, point to chapter 1 first. Let me grab my water. All right, so we've had God's, in Genesis 1, God's cre uh, record of the creation of the earth, all right? He started with light, made light, made day and night. Uh, he made 
the sky and the waters below. God made the land, then he made the plants, then God made the animals, and then he got to his final and his most amazing creature yet to make, all right? And he made this man, this person, this human being, and called him Adam, okay? The word in Hebrew that we translate man in Genesis 1 and 2 is the word Adam. The name Adam, the word Adam, they're the exact same word in the Hebrew, all right? So when you're reading through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, every time you see the word man, it's interchangeable with the, with the word Adam. That is what the word is. But the translators, when they were translating it into English, they chose whether to translate it man or translate it Adam, rather than make it one word across the board. This can be a little bit confusing, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Genesis 1. We're going to look at verse 26 and 27, where God makes this amazing creature, Adam, all right? And you'll notice that I'm going to be saying Adam in place of the word man, just to give you an idea that it's all the same. So we're in Genesis 1, we're looking at verse 26, the crown of God's creation. So God said, let us make Adam in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So we see here the creation of this amazing creature, Adam, who is unlike all the other creatures that were just made, okay? All the creatures made were amazing. The earth is amazing, everything. But God said, I'm going to make this special creature, this amazing creature, in my image, okay? So what God did was he made Adam. He made God in his image. Adam wasn't God, clearly, obviously. But God made him like a little God, Adam, okay? Now, it's easy enough to understand, but verse 27 is a little perplexing, okay? Because it says, God made Adam in his image, male and female. That's where you stop and you say, wait a second, are we talking about one person? Or are we talking about two people? You know, one or two. Like, it says God made Adam, male and female he made them. Okay? So, to figure this out, God gave us chapter 2. This is amazing. So we're going to go ahead and turn to chapter 2 now. In this chapter, God goes more in detail into his creation, into the process that uh, we got, male and female. We're going to begin look, look, looking at it in verse 4, which we read this morning, okay? And I'm going to read it. You'll notice I'll be saying Adam a lot. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was on the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no Adam to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put Adam, who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we don't need to read about the rivers, so let's move ahead to verse 15. Then the Lord God took Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good that Adam should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would name would call them. And whatever Adam called each creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, all birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. All right, we'll just stop there. Let's take a minute to break this down, okay? So God created this amazing creature, Adam, all right, but knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Because remember, Adam was made in the image of God, and God cannot exist without relationship. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? God is three in one. God exists eternally in relationship. It's part of who he is. To take the relationship out of God is to take the God out of God. He's not God if he's not in relationship. So that's how God exists. And God made this creature, Adam, like God. And God knew that in order for Adam to be able to accomplish his purposes on the earth, he needed to exist in relationship. He already was in relationship with God. We read that God would come down and they'd walk and talk in the garden together. That's amazing. But that was vertical. That was Adam to God. Adam's not, was not, is not on the same level with God. God knew that Adam needed someone at his own level, just like the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, equal, on the same level, in relationship together. So God knew Adam needed a helper who was comparable to him, okay, who would be like him, who would be on the same level as him, that he could have that intimate relationship with, that God has with himself. So, what did God do? Let's read in verse 21, all right? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from Adam, he made into a woman, and he brought her to Adam. And Adam said, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice how I didn't say Adam with that last man. That's because that's a completely different word. <laughs> but we'll talk more about that later. So this is absolutely amazing. But to understand what just happened here, we need to define our terms. We read that God put Adam into a deep sleep, okay, and then removed one of his ribs. The Hebrew word that is translated rib here is Selah, okay? Selah. Now, this word is used 41 times in the Old Testament. And this is the only place where it's ever translated rib. It's used 41 times, okay? And these two times the word rib is used in this passage is the only place in all the New Testament this word is translated rib. So what is it translated in the other places? Well, for 30 of the 41 times, it is translated as sigh, or chamber. So the more reasonable way to look at this passage, okay, is not that God took an itty-bitty rib out of Adam to make the woman, okay? 
the picture is that God removed a side from Adam, or a chamber, a side chamber out of Adam. So remember that God wanted to make a helper for Adam who would be comparable to him, who would represent in humanity the relationship that God has in the Trinity. So what he did here was he made the perfect companion for Adam. While Adam slept, uh, we get this picture, basically, it, it gives this image of God taking Adam and cracking him in half, okay? God took one side of Adam, and he made a woman. God took the other side, he closed it up, and that became man, became male. And Adam understood this when he woke up. He understood that this is exactly what had happened. Because remember what Adam said? He said, this, this, this woman, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you, do you get that? The woman was taken out of man. Now, like I said earlier, the word used for man here, as in man and woman, is not Adam, like every other time it's used. This is the word ish for man. And woman, ishish. This is different. What you had was you had Adam, the Adam, the creature, the God, image of God, creature, amazing Adam, whole, complete, okay? But God took the one Adam and he separated him into an ish and an ishish into a man and a woman. Male and female. So the original Adam is now represented, at this point in the story, by two people. Two people make up the one. God, the image of God, was now represented through two creatures, not one. Man, male, like me, I am not a full representation of the image of God. And women, by themselves, are not a full representation of God. We are only part. We are each half, okay? But a man and a woman, side by side, in relationship, that fully displays the image of God. So the first important point I want to make on this is that this is why marriage is so amazingly important. And it, uh, marriage is the most intimate, godlike relationship in the world. Because it's a complete joining of a man and a woman for life. And when you put a man together in that kind of relationship, it's the most powerful unit in the world. A man alone is only half of Adam, and a woman is only half of Adam. But the full Adam, the full complete human being, is a man and woman side by side, in relationship, working together. So remember the, who God gave the command to, to rule over the earth? It was given to one person. It was given to Adam, all right? But Adam was then broken into two. So what we see is we cannot fulfill God's purposes in the world, one or the other, men or women. We will only be able to fulfill God's purposes on the earth when men and women come together on a level field on an equal level, working together side by side, not one over the other, not one under the other, anything like that, on the same level working together. Then we can begin to accomplish God's purposes on the earth. In this chapter, we read that Eve is a 
comparable, was made a comparable helper to Adam, all right? There are many people who think that this means that women are um, helpers, as in subservient to men in some way, that they're almost like a, a sort of servant, okay? But this idea that Adam was the one with all the responsibility and Eve just, you know, came along after him, helping him along. But is that what's meant by the word helper in this verse? I want to point something out that's amazing. This blew my mind. Okay, the Hebrew word for helper here is azer, all right? Now, azer is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Twice this word is applied to women, all right? And 16 times it's applied to God. So let's read. Uh, let me give you some examples. Psalm 20, verse 2, all right? It says, may he, that's God, send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our helper and our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Psalm 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. That just blows my mind. So let me ask you this. Since women are called... Uh, since people say that women are subservient to men because they're called a helper, okay, does that then mean that God is subservient to humans because he's called helper? It's the same word. No, of course not. The natural and obvious way to look at this passage is not that women are gods to be worshipped, but that we need women's help in the same way that we need God's help, okay? We need women. Women help like God helps. It's the same thing. We men need women because they complete us. They empower us to be what God has called us to be. And women need us men, too, to be all that they are called to be. Humanity will never be complete, will never fully accomplish God's purposes without men and women working side by side. But now, if this was God's plan for men and women, that they work side by side, equal, on the same level, accomplishing God's purposes, if that was God's original plan, how is it that women have become the most persecuted people group in the entire world? What went wrong? What happened? Okay? How did men go from ruling with women to ruling over women. So we're going to go to chapter 3 now. All right, let's begin in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden? And the woman, Yeshish, said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, because you know that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. All right. So, were Adam and Eve itching to know what good and evil was? Is that what they were seeing in the garden, going, oh, I really want to know what good and evil was? No, that was, that was not the temptation there. When the serpent came, what he said to them is, you will be like God. And they got confused, because guess what? They were like God already. They were already in God's image. They were whole and complete, as long as they were working together to accomplish God's purposes. They were complete. They were whole, and they were already in the image of God. They didn't need anything else. But the serpent told them, no, no. What you need to do is you need to eat that fruit and disobey God. If you do that, then you'll be like God. All right? Then you'll really be like him. So that was the temptation, and that was the sin when they ate of the fruit. We all know that sin hurts, and we know that sin changes things. Because sin leads to guilt and shame, which cause us to run away from God. So after they did what they knew was wrong, after they tried to make themselves whole and more like God by their own power, they felt guilty, they felt shame, and they felt exposed. So they tried to cover themselves, cover themselves with fig leaves. So let's read in verse 8 what happened next. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and, and I was afraid, because, and I hid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat of? And the woman said, or the man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, stopping there for a minute. So now, compounding the problem, the man and the woman were now pointing fingers at other people. They were in perfect relationship with each other, but now man is pointing at woman, condemning her, saying, it's your fault. And she's trying to cast blame to the serpent, you know? So this is completely different. It was man and woman in conflict. What they had was perfect at the beginning, okay? But now it was different. So now we're going to read what happens next. There are always consequences to sin. Okay? Sin leads to guilt and leads to shame. Okay? And those change everything in life. Adam and Eve had willingly introduced sin into God's absolutely perfect creation, and with sin and guilt and shame in the world, nothing would be the same. So God said in verse 14, God said to the serpent, serpent, because you have done this, you are more cursed than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right. So did you hear that? God said that there would be enmity between the serpent, between the devil, and woman, and women. Do you know that Satan has it out for women? Do you know that Satan hates people, humanity, but he especially hates women? Verse 16. God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply 
your sorrow and conception. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Here's the key. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. All right, let's park right here. We understand the first part of the verse, okay? Pain, childbirth, okay. But it's the second of the part part of this last verse that I want to look at here, okay? With the introduction of sin, the relationship between men and women changed. Exactly. And God tells us that in sin, the relationship is no longer one of mutual benefit, okay? But instead, it's a relationship of mutual, mutual leeching, of pulling from each other. It says here that no longer will women be happy just to be themselves. They will instead now desire for their husbands, desire to pull more out of him than he's willing to give, to leech love, to leech acceptance, all that from him, more than he could possibly give. And what about men? God says that when sin is introduced into the relationship, men shall rule over women. That's the result of sin. In sin, the relationship is, woman, give me more, man. And the man's saying, give me more, lady. Give me respect. Listen to me. Do what I say. That's sin. That's the result of sin. Originally, men and women existed to work together, side by side, in a mutually beneficial relationship for the glory of God and for the blessing of each other. But from now on, they would try and get what they needed from each other, okay? She would leech from him, and he would leech from her. She'd be leeching love from him. He'd be leeching respect from her, forcing her to serve him. But that's what we call the curse, okay? It is the effect of sin, and it has never been, and never will be, God's ideal for relationships between men and women. A number of years ago, a book came out called Love and Respect, which I listened to, and because uh, I was told by so many people it's the greatest book I've ever read, you have to have to listen to love and respect. So the premise of this book is that women inherently crave love, and men inherently crave respect. Okay, so the author, who's a Christian, says the best Christian relationship you can have is one where the woman gives unconditional respect to the man, and the man gives unrespect, uh, unconditional love to the woman, in order to fulfill those inherent needs inside of them that have to be met. But does that sound familiar? That's the curse we just read about. Yeah, that's the result of sin. Okay? When we accept things like that, like the premise of that book, okay, what we are doing is we are institutionalizing within the church, we are institutionalizing the curse. God's desire has always been and always will be for men and women to work side by side. When we see men ruling over women, we are looking at the curse and we are looking at the effects of sin in the world and in relationships. We in the church cannot be the last people to recognize this. All right, We must be the first. In our church, the Mennonite Church, the Eastern District Conference, we are doing what's right. We're staking our future on it. In the class that Sam and I are in, there's, what, four women there? And, yeah, and uh, two of them are full-time pastors already, and the others are studying so they can get licensed. 
That's great. That's amazing. That's the future of the church. I'm convinced that women are the sleeping giant in the church. I mean, just look at church leadership, how covered it is by men. Where's the women? Where's the side-by-side, equal parts? Okay. We in the church need to empower women, to do whatever we can to get out of the way so women can rise to the heights that God wants them to be, that God has called them to be. When, when the world sees church, sees the church, okay, they need to see a group that values men and women equally, all right? No more of this ruling over each other by either side, by men trying to rule over the women or the women in response trying to rule over men in the whole swinging back and forth. Guess what? None of that is what ever God ever wanted. You know, let the Muslims and the other people continue to do that. We're Christians. We're in Christ's church, you know? Let's make that clear distinction. So back to my story. Remember that my friend had said that women are the enemy of the church? Well, I have three daughters, okay? And let me tell you something. The church and the world needs what those girls have to offer. The world needs Riley's sensitivities. The world needs Amity's strength. And the world needs Piper's love, okay? If women are the enemy, then me, I, I'm raising the enemy, all right? And I'm raising this to take the church and take the world by storm. And I know that is exactly what God wants. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for coming to this earth, for living life as a human being, and then for giving your life for us. Thank you for giving your life to break the curse over us, to break the curse of sin and death, to make us free, to redeem us, to return us to our original value, both men and women. Please flood the church with your truth. Please let your ideal be our ideal in everything, whether it's in a spiritual lifestyle, how we live, but also how we treat each other, how men treat women, Lord. Let us always live your ideals, and let there be a clear contrast between us and the rest of the world, the rest of the world, how they see and treat each other and how we see and treat each other. Let us represent you in everything we say and do in our homes, in our cities, in the whole world, and in the church. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Make us more like you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.